No. What did he say? He's going to destroy the world. My father said that one day, if man continued in his ways, the creator would annihilate this world. Can it not be averted? He speaks to you. You must trust that he speaks in a way that you can understand. Whistle water. Death by water. That's on your life. A great flood is coming. We build a vessel to survive the storm. We build an ark. you want you don't know your king there isn't anything for you here i have made up my back can you stand alone and defy me i'm not alone Chose you for a reason. Is this the end of everything? Beginning. Beginning of everything. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Rico Dosti's Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast. My name is Simon Meddings, otherwise known as Meds or Hawkeye Meds on the forums. So, not long ago I jumped into the very warm captain's chair and presented a show on Knight Rider. Jump in my car, I want to No, no, David, you've had your turn. Uh, on this episode, I cover not one, but two classic American sci-fi TV shows, Auto Man and Street Hawk. So, let's crack on with our first topic, Auto Man. And uh, what better way than playing the theme tune, which I believe was composed by Stu Phillips, though I'm no Vartok. So, let's just play the music. <laughs> Thank you. 
So, Auto Man. Now, uh, brilliant theme tune there, uh, she'll point out. I love that theme tune. Classic 80s theme tune. Um, so, Auto Man was created by the legendary television producer, Glenn A. Larson, the same genius who gave us Battlestar Galactica, Quincy Emmy, BJ and the Bear, and the TV programme that influenced Brian Dunn, the brilliant Fall Guy. And then, of course, we have Rick Moyer's first introduction to a moustache, which was, of course, Magnum P.I. Now, the series had just one uh, season, uh, with 13 episodes, in which only 12 were originally shown. It was first shown on December the 15th, 1983, through to April the 2nd, 1984, on ABC. So, before we have a yarn about the programme, here is some info on the main players. Now, Desi Anaz Jr., born... <laughs> here we go. Uh, Desi Delero Alberto Anaz, on January the 19th, 1953. Now, he plays Walter Niebuscher, an American actor and musician. He is the son of the entertainers Lucille Ball and Desi Anaz, and he is the brother of actress Lucy Desi Anaz. Uh, also in the series is the brilliantly named Chuck Wagner, uh, born June the 20th, 1958. Now, he actually plays Automan. Uh, again, of course, make an actor, director, musical theatre historian and teacher. Had a very much, very uh, extensive uh, career in the theatre. Heather McNair plays Roxanne Caldwell, uh, actress, uh, mainly played between in Hollywood from 83 to 93. Of course, uh, apart from starring in Automan, she also appeared in the TV series sent Elsewhere, Knight Rider, Airwolf, and the films Madhouse, Kid, and Chaplin, uh, in this one performing with the role of the actress Marianne Davis. Also uh, in uh, Automan is the brilliant Robert Lansing, uh, born June 5, 1928, sadly passed away on October the 23rd, 1994. And he played Lieutenant Jack Curtis and was an American stage, film, and television actor, most well-playing, uh, well-known, for playing the role of control in The Equalizer. So, the actual TV programme. Okay, here we go. Automan, or otherwise known as The Automatic Man, uh, which doesn't sound as cool, uh, follows the adventures, or at least 13 of them, uh, of police officer and computer programmer called Walter Niebuscher. Uh, he creates an artificially intelligent crime-fighting programme, which also creates a hologram, played by, of course, Chuck Wagner. Um, now... Automan, or the hologram, is able to leave the computer world and jump into ours to fight crime. Now, once in our real world, he poses as a government agent called Otto J. Mann. You see what they did there? Very clever. Um, this, of course, was a secret known only to Walter and his close friend Roxanne Caldwell. Uh, also in the series was Cursor, in essence a sidekick, which was a shifting polyhedron which could draw and generate physical objects as needed. The most famous and obvious was, of course, the auto car, but also appearing was a helicopter, an aeroplane, all of which could defy the laws of physics. Now, of course, these kinds of television programmes always have superiors, and in these we have two. Uh, Robert Lansing, as we said, played Jack Curtis, and then there was Captain E.J. Uh, Boyd, played by Gerald O'Loughlin, uh, both believe that Automan was a friend of Walter's from the FBI. Now, Automan, of course, had a costume that appeared to glow on screen. This was due to its reflective fabric designed by General Electric, the same material used in Superman, uh, the film Superman, when now was on Krypton. Uh, also looking all shiny is nature. His electric was the auto car and the auto chopper, and each vehicle would appear or disappear 
in this sequence of wireframes drawn by cursor. Uh, these were black with reflective tape stuck on them. Yes, uh, of course, we've come a long way from that. Now, the auto car was a Lamborghini Countach LP400, which was capable of making 90-degree turns without losing control and could try overtake merely by strafing rather than uh, turning. Clearly, make-believe, as anyone who has seen a Lamborghini, they look nice, but they drive like a tank. Now, the chopper was a Bell Jet Ranger capable of landing anywhere. Not as exciting, really, but... Uh, Hey-ho, he didn't turn up as nice. Now, uh, Cursor also uh, drew um, other stuff like a motorbike, as we said, a handgun, and for some strange reason, uh, reason a, a guitar. Hmm. Now, another prominent feature of Automan was the ability to wrap himself around Walter as a means of protecting him. They would appear as one person, but because Walter was inside Automan, he would inadvertently end up speaking in two voices. However, Automan's excessive use of electricity would often mean he would suffer from power shortages during the daytime, so he was rarely active in sunlight. Uh, one, because the suit would look bloody rubbish. So let's have a quick look at the <clears throat> the episodes. I'll uh, give you a little bit of information on each one. Episode number one, Essence the Pilot, uh, original air date, December the 15th, 1983. This episode was called Auto Man. Uh, Walter Niebuhr is a young police officer who wants desperately to get out on the streets and experience some action. Unfortunately, his superior, Captain Boyd, as a sign Niebuhr to a desk job where he can utilise his skills as a computer expert. Uh, episode number two called Staying Alive While Running a High Flash Dance Fever. Uh, broadcast December the 22nd, 1983. Walter and Autumn investigate a judge that appears to be corrupt and involved with the mob. This episode's title references the film Staying Alive, Flash Dance and Saturday Night Fever. All films... Uh, that Rico adores and dances to as much as he can. Episode number three, uh, called The Great Pretender, broadcast December the 29th, 1983. When a truckload of paper the government uses to print money is hijacked, Auto Man, with the help of Cursor, poses as a rich criminal competing to undermine the existing network of a known criminal family dealing in counterfeit money. Episode number four called Ships in the Night, January the 5th, 1984. Walter and Auto, called Auto now, look, uh, fly to San Cristobal to investigate the disappearance of Americans. They discover a man aided by the local authorities that lures investors in order to kill them and take their money. Episode five called Unreasonable Facsimile, uh, broadcast January the 12th, uh, 1984. My dad's birthday, how nice. Automan and Walter attempt to solve the murder of a businessman and the crash of a police helicopter. Automan begins acting peculiar after watching soap operas on television. Well, we all know what that's like, don't we? We all know what it's like having to watch soap operas. Um, episode number six, Flashes and Ashes. Uh, January the 19th, 1984. Walter's friend and fellow cop Frank Cooney is killed during the theft of police weaponry. But when the internal affairs agent believes Frank was involved, Walter is suspended when he and Otto interfere, trying to prove his friend's innocence. Episode 7, The Biggest Game in Town, broadcast January the 26th, 1984. Automan and Walter attend a computer game convention. Uh, I wonder if our friend Joe was there. Um, 
well, this is 1984, so <laughs> I've it, uh, when they must track down Ronald Teeson, a computer genius who has programmed computers to cause disasters that will kill people, unless he gets $10 million. Even Apple hasn't gone that far. Episode number eight, Renegade Run, uh, broadcast March the 5th, 1984. When Walter investigates a crooked sheriff who is using illegal immigrants for manual labour, he and a friend are put in jail. Waterman teams up with a motorcycle gang to free him. Episode number nine, Murder MTV, uh, March 12, 1984. Uh, Water and Automan investigate an apparent attempt to kill the members of an all-girl band called Sweet Kicks. But their investigation is hampered when the father of one of the girls seeks assistance from a crime syndicate. Episode number 10, Murder Take One, broadcast March 19, 1984. Former movie star Veronica 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 uh, Everly is a suspect in the murder of gossip columnist Ray Gillette. However, when Automan discovers that a Hollywood producer had a greater motive for murder, he goes undercover as an actor to catch the real killer. Mm-hmm. Episode number eleven: Zippers, <laughs> March the twenty-sixth, nineteen eighty-four. Automan goes undercover as a neurotic dancer in a ladies-only strip club. It makes you wonder where the reflective stripes would be going on that episode, eh? Episode number 12, Death by Design, April the 2nd, 1984. When a ruthless crime syndicate... There's a lot of syndicates on here. None of them in lottery, I noticed. Uh, when a ruthless crime syndicate kills one of Jack's best friends, Auto Man poses a vigilante cop by the name of Mad Dog, who is out for justice. Mad Don, uh, Episode 13, of course, this was the one that was on Ed, uh, called Club 10. The exclusive Club 10 resort is a centre for diamond smuggling. When Laura Ferguson stumbles on this secret, she manages to put an SOS call to her old friend Roxanne before being taken prisoner. Roxanne, Walter and Auto Man are soon on a trail of the missing Laura, unaware they themselves are being trailed. So that's the episodes there. I've got a little bit of trivia here for you before we go on to our next subject so if you'll bear with me now a video game based on this series produced by bug bite software was released for the commodore 64 platform in 1984 um i used to love the commodore i had a amstrad cpc 464 computer with a color monitor and uh, over here in the, the uk we had three um of these kind of like contenders for home computing there was the Amstrad Commodore and the Spectrum uh, we also had BBC computers but we didn't really use them much and uh, the Spectrum had small little rubber keys the Amstrad which was, was a little bit more powerful and uh, had an inbuilt tape deck uh, was quite cool but the Commodore had some great games like uh, Mission Impossible or Impossible Mission I think it was Impossible Mission I think. anyway either way it was a great game Anyway, next one. Uh, Glenn A. Larson was inspired to create the series after seeing the brilliant film Tron from 1982. Uh, producer Donald Kushner also produced that film. According to Chuck Wagner, he based his performance on William Shatner as Captain Kirk in Star Trek, which, of course, he was a big fan. Uh, as we said, Waterman's costume was a blue bodysuit with scotch light reflectors and bright lights were shined on them. And then they were toned down post-production. And final one here, no computer animation was used to create the effects, only traditional animation and editing techniques were used. 
Now, uh, my personal opinion, I, I love Water Man, although I must admit I am speaking through slightly rose-tinted glasses because it's been a long time since I've seen it. It is available on DVD to buy, and I think there are a few uh, channels out there that have uh, re-aired them since they was originally broadcast. But um, if you haven't seen it, it's worth going to check out. You can, of course, as usual, find them on YouTube, or at least uh, clips or the odd episode. So let's go on to Street Hawk, and uh, why not? Let's kick off with the theme tune. So here's the theme tune to Street Hawk. theme there was composed by Tangerine Dream and produced by Christopher Frank and a modified version which was actually featured in the pilot episode during the sequence where Mac uh, took the bike out for the first time appears on the album Le Parc um, or titled Le Parc in brackets LA Street Hawk so let's jump straight into this uh, Street Hawk uh, was originally ran January the 4th to May the 16th 1985 again only one 
series of this involving 13 episodes, each running around about 50 minutes long. Uh, created by Paul M. Bielas, Robert Walterstorff, and developed by Bruce Lansbury. So let's have a look at the actors here who turn up in Street Talk. Rex Smith, born September the 19th, 1955, in Jacksonville, Florida, American actor and singer. Smith debuted in the Broadway play Grease in 1978. He is noted for his role as Jesse Mack in this series, uh, which makes you think that actually he didn't really do much else. Now, um, because of his good looks, and I'm reading this from uh, from his uh, own page here, he was regular featured in Sixteen Magazine and Tiger Beat. He also had, you're going to like this one, he also had a gold top ten single called You Only, oh, You Take My Breath Away in 1979. And here, for the enjoyment of treks in sci-fi, is a small clip of that song. Never play that again. Uh, Richard Venture, uh, born November the 12th, 1923, in New York City, an American actor, of course, has performed in more than 80 films from 64 to 2001, and television guest credits include Fame and the brilliant Murder, She Wrote. Uh, Joe Regalbuto, uh, born August the 24th, 1949. Uh, he's most well-known as an actor and director uh, as the, in the role of Frank Fontana, in the CBS television comedy, Murphy Brown. So, let's have a look at the, uh, the series here, and let's uh, read a little bit of information out. Um, now, the premise of the show, it had a narration before every episode, and uh, this was voiced by uh, Ernie Anderson, so I'm just going to read you out exactly what he says at the beginning of the episode. This is Jesse Mack, an ex-motorcycle cop injured in the line of duty, now a police troubleshooter. He's been recruited for a top-secret government mission to ride Street Hawk, an all-terrain attack motorcycle designed to fight urban crime capable of incredible speeds up to 300 miles an hour and immense firepower. Only one man, Federal Agent Norman Tuttle, <laughs> rubbish now, knows Jesse Mack's true identity, the man, the machine, Street Hawk. Mm. So the pilot episode shows the backstory of Jesse Max Rexsmith, earlier work as a police officer and amateur dirt bike racer. He is recruited by Norman Tuttle for the Street Hawk project and the capabilities of the motorcycle and its computer-backed um, kind of thing. Basically, it's Night Rider, but on two wheels. Uh, all subsequent episodes, of course, show him leading a double life as a police public uh, relations officer by day and then crime fighter. By night, of course, he has a captain, a person in charge, and this was played by Richard Venture. <coughs> Excuse me. A little bit of information here on the motorcycle. 
um, which I'm sure everyone will be interested in. Okay, so the motorcycle in the pilot episode was based on a 1983 Honda XL500 trail bike. The motorcycles used in the series were based on the 1984 Honda XR500s. And the motorcycles used for stunt shots were based on the Honda CR250s. Overall, 15 motorcycles were used in the show. And the whereabouts of 14 of these are unknown. But the 15th uh, used to reside in the now-closed Cars of the Stars Motorcycle Museum in Keswick in Cumbria here in England. Uh, it was restored by stuntman Chris Bromham. The pilot motorcycle was designed by Andrew Probert and the series motorcycles were redesigned by Ron Cobb. Now, during filming, the fiberglass body parts constantly flew off the bike during the course of stunt work. Uh, the film's second stunt unit always carried uh, six bikes, on standby. Uh, there was a small shop just around the corner from Universal Studios which must have made an absolute mint um, <laughs> sort of like putting these bikes back together again. Um, it's a beautiful looking bike I must admit but of course everything looks better on screen uh, when you I presume when you go up and look at it close it, uh, it does look exactly like it is just made of fiberglass. So there's only 13 episodes like, like as we did with Automan. Let's go through them and uh, hopefully there's a little bit of information that you might find interesting. So the pilot episode, this was 90 minutes long, which is quite long for a, a pilot. Uh, Jesse Mack, a motorcycle cop, is injured while off-duty by a black truck, which also kills his partner, Marty. After being assigned to the PR department because he isn't physically able to handle the street, he is approached by federal agent and engineer Norman Tuttle, who convinces Jesse to work undercover for the government and ride a powerful motorbike called Street Hawk. Soon enough, Jesse uses Street Hawk for his own personal vendetta. Guest starring Robert Beltram, Christopher Lloyd and Lawrence Pressman. Uh, this was broadcast on the 4th of January 1985. So, episode number two, A Second Self. Jesse investigates a gang of car thieves and during a chase, one of the crooks gets killed. The brother of the deceased blames Street Hawk for his death and so hires a hitman to take revenge by luring Jesse to his doom. However, the hitman turns out to be an old pal of Jesse's. Now, his stars George Clooney, Robert Lipton and Marco Rodriguez. And this was originally uh, broadcast on the 11th of January, 1985. So, episode number three, The Adjuster. Jesse impedes a dual sale, uh, but a murder pretending to be a cop chooses the gems. A murderer, sorry, a murder. <laughs> but a murderer pretending to be a cop who chooses the gems. This episode introduces an enemy unknown to Streethawk. This enemy is the masquerading cop boss, whom we only know of via telephone conversations. Guest stars here, Bernard White, Marjorie Gottner and Milt Hopeman. Uh, broadcast 18th of January 1985. There's a note here. He says the cop boss who was introduced was to be used in future episodes of Street Hawk's Nemesis. However, since production was halted after 13 episodes, we never again hear from him. <laughs> Dear me, that's a bit sad. Imagine getting that job. Anyway, uh, episode number four, Vegas Run. Unwittingly, Jesse and Norman become embroiled in the case of Linda Martin, an important witness against a mobster. She is pursued by the mobster's henchmen who are hell-bent on getting rid of her. Uh, this was broadcast 22nd of January 1985 and has guest stars Gregory Itzin, Sybil Danning and Christopher Thomas. 
Episode number five, Dog Eat Dog, uh, broadcast 30 for January 1985. Jesse attempts to convince a rock star to appear in a public service announcement. Well, that doesn't sound very good, does it? Um, guest stars James A. Whitmore Jr. and Daphne Ashbrook. Episode number six, Fire on the Wing. A series of arson attacks at six different factories make Jesse and Norman doubt that they're about their fortuity. Yet, when they set out to investigate, they are both completely baffled by the fact that the detonator responsible for each incident is untraceable. That was broadcast 5th of February 1985. Guest stars Raymond Singer. So, number seven, uh, Chinatown Memories, broadcast on Valentine's Day. How nice. 14th of February 1985. Jesse comes to the assistance of an old girlfriend. Her family gets in trouble after a statue is stolen. Blimey, they're pulling out the... Um, the descriptions on, on these, aren't they? Guest stars James Shato and James Seitol. Sorry, that was a terrible um, accent there. <laughs> Episode number eight of the Unsinkable 453. The widow of an overthrown dictator employs an escaped prisoner for a hideous scheme. Jesse investigates after the prisoner leaves a stand-in at the jail. Guest stars Raymond Singer, Bianca Jagger. That was broadcast on 20th February 1985. Episode number nine, Hot Target. Hot Target. Uh, broadcast 27th of February 1985, Jesse pursues a gang of gunrunners and their trial leads him to a laser weaponry. There, Norman re-encounters an old flame, gets captured, and Jesse is left to do all the work on his home. Oh, boo-hoo, Jesse. Episode number ten, uh, Murder is a Novel Idea. Uh, broadcast 7th of March 1985, guest starring Stephen Edwards, Don Who, and Belinda Montgomery. Jesse helps an author solve a murder committed years earlier. The writer is about to release a book which supposedly incriminates those responsible but only puts her in danger since the killer now needs to get rid of her. There's a note here underneath. After this episode, it was apparent that ABC would not be renewing the mid-season series. Although it had developed a cult fan base, it was not getting the numbers ABC wanted. A good sign of this is the fact that the next episode was not shown until two months later. We've, of course, come to recognise this quite a bit where production companies tend to give up on a series um, and, and then either cancel it or don't even show the whole thing, which I think is such a shame when people have gone to such hard work to to make a series, they they should at least show it through and uh, they might maybe give something a bit of hope. Uh, Firefly is an example of that. I know we all know that, but uh, there we go. Episode number 11, The Arabian, broadcast 2nd of May 1985, uh, guest starring MC Gainey and Bibi Bish. Jesse competes with a beautiful and intelligent insurance agent when they investigate a horse-switching scheme and murder a stable hand. That sounds nice. Now, Barbara Stock, a guest star in this episode, she is best known for being in Spencer for Hire. Hmm. Okay, two more to go. Uh, episode 12, Female of the Species. Alter Belly comes to Jesse's aid when a federal agent tries to justify his failings to stop an assassination. However, the assassin is really seeking revenge against the Fed who put her away years earlier. Watch out for the face-to-face -face confrontation between Alter Belly and Jesse at Street Hawk. Uh, guest stars uh, Dennis Franz and Tuckle and uh, Mark Alamo. We all know Mark Alamo, don't we? Uh, so that was broadcast 9th of May 1985. Um, number 13, the final one, the last episode. Um, Jesse battles a gang of neighbourhood vigilantes who injured a security guard in the theft of a large quantity of gold. 
Uh, during this episode, the bike falters and cannot go to hyperthrust. Wow. Uh, guest stars Bert Vazario, Kathleen Parks, and Phil Rubinstein. Uh, that was the last episode of this television series. Now, here's a little bit of um, trivia for you. There's not an awful lot, but I'll, uh, I'll hopefully you'll find something interesting in this. Rex Smith is a skilled motorcycle rider and did most of his riding. A stunt double was used for the most dangerous stunts, mainly the big jumps, I think. Jenny Wilson replaced Jane uh, Modin as the female lead because the producers felt that Modine was too young for the role. Uh, gorgeous George Clooney <laughs> screen tested for the role of Jesse Mack and Clooney was creator Robert Wolfenstein's first choice but ABC did not want him and he ended up guest appearing in the second, uh, second episode. Oh ABC, how foolish you are. Don Johnson was considered for the part of Jesse Mack but when Miami Vice was picked up Obviously, he became unavailable. The series was originally, originally to be called Falconer, but there was already a pilot in that season with the same title. Honda sued the producers and Universal TV, claiming that the name Streethawk was too similar to their Nighthawk motorcycle. But Honda dropped the suit after the series was cancelled. And the final one here... Um, yeah, this is just about the bike. So the Streethawk bike was built on a stock bike frame made up with fiberglass fabricated model parts. Six bikes rotated during production, always requiring replacement fenders, wheel cowls and engine repairs. The second unit stunt film's crew had to be coordinated with the first unit film crew um, so that there was a, both the Streethawk and the bike was available. Um, so... That's it for Street Talk. Now, again, um, there's a great little website out there uh, all about, it's like a fan website all about Street Talk, and they've got loads of clips on there, loads of photos, and loads of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, um, which, you know, I, I could easily go on there and just copy it, but it, there's no point in doing that. You, you know, it's more fun to go over there and have a look at yourself, so please do seek it out. Um, it's uh, When you type in Street Talk, it's the one underneath Wikipedia, which we all use. Uh, it is available on DVD. You can get a big box of it. I'm sure it's fairly cheap. There's only 13 episodes. Um, and that's it for this little uh, podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I, again, I, I, these are programs that I remember when I was a kid. I say I was, I was 10 in 1983. Um, so, uh, you know, between the ages of 10 and, and 12, being a young lad, who you know loves cars? Knight Rider, Automan, Street Hawk were just like dreams come true. Um, you know we all like a bike and we all like fast things, and uh, we all pretend to be on them. You know, I had a Grifter, which was um, a Valley Grifter, and it, I think it was Valley anyway. But it was a brilliant little bike, and I always used to pretend it was Street Hawk. And um, and you know, it's I think I don't think that ever goes away, does it? <laughs> Doesn't matter how old we get, we all want to have uh, a flash car or a flash bike. Anyway, that's the end of this podcast. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you all so much for taking the time out to listen to me talk today on this show. And again, thank you to Rico for, for once again being so kind as to allow um, special guests onto his, his brilliant podcast. Uh, I've been listening to this show for years. I've been a member of the forum for, God, blimey, over five years now, six years, I think. I've made some fantastic friends there. Everyone is so great. If you're not a member of the forum, please do come over and join in. There's also a very active Facebook group page, and feel free to join that. Um, you'll you'll be happily accepted, and you'll make a load of new friends. Uh, take care, everybody, and hopefully I'll speak to you all very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. <laughs>
dialed the number I know best instead of Jamie's office. I dialed my own number. Did you ever do that? Hello? I'm sorry. I must have dialed the wrong number. What number did you want? Klondike 5, 6189. This is Klondike 5, 6189. Who are you calling? Nah, I must have dialed wrong. This can't be Klondike 5-6189. Yeah? That's the number you've reached. Who did you want? Wasn't calling anybody at this number. Wait a minute. Are you sure this is Klondike 56189? <laughs> I think I know my own number, pal. Who are you? Peter Novins. Who are you? I'm Peter Novins. This isn't funny. You sound just like me. Did dial my own number. You're in my apartment. What the hell are you doing in my apartment? My apartment. What a moron gag. Freddie, is that you? Who is this? Maury, is that you? Alan? Uh, nobody can imitate my voice like you. Come, Alan. Come on, man. Don't, Don't jerk, jerk my, my chain. Ch